0: What I feel like and I truly believe the contractors, developers, cities that get this and not just 3D printing, but get this forward thinking innovative technology are going to be ones that people are going to. Once they start it, once they use it, but it's just taking that initial step.
1: You are listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast, where we talk to innovative leaders on how they create optimal value in a smart world context. We combine strategy and technology talk to absorb reality, embrace uncertainty, and to go from path dependency to path creation. It's smart cities, it's smart buildings, it's data strategies, it's construction, it's real estate and industry 4.0, and most of all, it's smart people. And remember, it's the data you don't have that will change your life. With your host, the future shaper, the ecosystem architect, Nicholas Wern. Welcome to the Beyond Buildings podcast and this episode with uh, Jen Christman. And uh, we're going to talk about 3D printing, how to save the world, affordable housing and whatever comes up. So uh, please, Jen, tell us about yourself and how you got to where you are today.
0: Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me on. Yes, my name is Jen Christman and I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I grew up in the panhandle of Florida. And believe it or not, since the age of 10, saw a huge bridge in Atlanta and thought, that's what I want to do. I want to build those when I grow up. Like I was one of those people that it never ever happens. At 10, you know what you're gonna do when you grow up. Like I never that's seen-
1: amazing. Well, what was the name you of the bridge? Do you remember?
0: If you've ever been to Atlanta or anybody that's ever been to Atlanta, there's a place called Spaghetti Junction. And it has all of these bridges intertwined and it's big to a 40 something, much less a 10 year old in the car. You know, you're just amazed. And I literally told my parents, I said, I want to do that when I grow up. And they said, well, you need to be really good in math and science. I said, "Okay, I can do that. They said, you need to work really, really hard. All right. I can do that.
1: I think that's the best intro I've ever heard, to be honest. For me, it's completely the opposite, to be honest. (laughs) I never knew what I wanted to do, but I think that's fantastic. So 10 years old, what happened afterwards?
0: After that, God gave me a little bit of ability as far as studying, but I always worked really hard. Some people just have it like they can go to class and listen like I wasn't that person. I would go and I needed to study, study, study. So I worked really hard. I grew up in the panhandle of Florida and I only graduated with 71 people. So instead of jumping from that environment to 40,000 people at the University of Florida, I actually went, and, and I'm a big, huge sports fan. So I went and played softball at a junior college, which junior colleges, to my knowledge, don't even exist anymore. This was a while ago. So I played softball. And this is just a great little side note. And in that softball, going through that, I actually took a racquetball class, and the racquetball teacher is now my husband of almost 25 years. So I'm glad I didn't go to the University of Florida. So it all worked out. The story just gets crazier. So after I got my AA from junior college, I then went to the University of Florida. AA? Yeah. So it's an associate's degree before you get your bachelor's. So junior college, like I said, I don't think it's a thing anymore. It used to be just two-year colleges where it was a great transition. So you didn't from 70 people to, like I said, 45,000 people, you had a good like stepping stone to be able to get used to that. But like I said, it worked out for me. I've been married almost 25 years. So, hey, it was <laughs> worth it.
1: <laughs> I think that's perfect.
0: So when went to the University of Florida, graduated, and I will say this is my only little soapbox moment. I graduated in 96 from the University of Florida, and it was about 10% women. And I go back to the University of Florida as many times as they'll let me to go talk about STEM and women in engineering. And there's only like 12% now. So that's a big, like, we need more women in STEM. So that's a huge mentoring role for me, but I... Loved civil engineering, and I did civil because I felt like it was the most broad. Like, if I wanted to go get my master's in something specific, then I would have done something different. But I felt civil. You got a little bit of electronics, a little bit of mechanical, a little bit of aerospace, and then you could kind of decide what you wanted to do. That's
1: super impressive. Thank you. It's really fun. And 3D printing that. Okay, so you could have chosen aerospace, uh, water, all these kind of things. When did you get into this 3D printing stuff, and, and how did it start?
0: Well, I think engineering in general, always, obviously, you're curious, right, by nature. That's just the way we're designed. And one of the classes that stood out was concrete. I think every civil engineering major across the country, across the globe, takes some kind of concrete. And we love it, like, because we get our hands dirty, all that fun stuff. So I did consulting engineer for a while. And then I ended up in really the concrete precast industry. And as things happen, like I mentioned, you know, finding my husband at a random junior college, I had a crazy call about potentially working in 3D printing. I said, 3D printing? I thought that was just plastics and materials and, you know, small parts. And when I found out that it was actually 3D construction using concrete, which, of course, I already had a background in, and doing buildings with the mission really to be for affordable housing a mission based anyway. It was a perfect, perfect connection to be
1: able to make that jump. When was this?
0: This was earlier this year. So just oh,
1: wow. Okay, yeah. so we're already yeah. here. Okay, fair yeah. enough. That's awesome. But have you built any bridges yet, like literal bridges, or is that sort of a still on the bucket list?
0: I have done a couple of designs. And in the precast world, we use what we call box culverts. So it's just really big boxes. And then we'll combine a bunch of boxes to have big openings for bridges. So, yeah, I have done bridges and I have done structures. So it's pretty cool when your world comes full circle. I can promise you.
1: I think that's fantastic. So we're already so like up to speed and we're sort of like where we are right now. And so, who made that call to call you and to rope you into the world of concrete? and 3D printing.
0: Very interesting connection through Georgia Highway Contractors Association. I have a great connection there because of my involvement. And he called and he's like, hey, I've got a good friend named Michael Woods. He lives in New York. He's a finance guy. He's a great business guy, but he needs some construction expertise. And he said when he mentioned construction and being in the field and concrete, you were the first person that came to mind. And so... It's one of those things that it sounds really cliche, but as soon as I spoke to Michael, I knew instantly that this was the
1: right place. So what do you do and what is the company that you work for? What is it that you do on a daily basis?
0: Great question. So what this position that he was looking for is he was bringing, I call it bringing a U.S. affiliate of Hyundai, which of course, everybody knows Hyundai as a of course, Motors Company. They have so many different things from ship building. They're heavy, heavy into construction. A lot of different avenues, a lot of tech avenues. We are a technology with 3D printing. They've had great success. Hyundai has in Korea. They purchased a company called Hisus and we are bringing that technology to the United States. So we are super excited about it because like I mentioned earlier, you know, we do concrete is our Not to say we're not going to use other options down the road in different materials and different composites, because that's definitely part of our game plan. But right now, completely worried about concrete. And currently, most of the people that are doing it and doing it really, really well are one stories. We have two different models. So we have an option that can go to two stories. And then we have an option that can go up to four stories. So Currently, we're the only company in the world that could go up to four stories with a three printer. So it's really, really exciting.
1: Four stories. That's pretty high, right? What have they done in Korea? Because you haven't done anything in the U S yet, right?
0: Not yet. They've done a lot of different testing in Korea. And that actually leads me to a point that I want to talk about, because it's especially if you have any engineers or contractors listing or architects. You can imagine when you're doing a bringing in industry, even though 3D printing is really not a new industry. It's new in this space, right? It's new in the concrete space. It's new in the home construction. Like I said earlier, you think 3D printing, you think small plastic pieces, or maybe it's something your kids use. It's something that, okay, if it breaks, oh well, but you're thinking, oh, I'm building something that somebody's going to live in. Like it's a whole different ballgame, right? So what we have been doing and working with is, and especially across the globe, but really in the United States, we are so specific on our our rules and regulations vary from state to state. So as an engineer, as a developer, as a contractor, it's a pain in the neck if you're going from Georgia to California to New York because all the rules are very different. So there's very few agencies that have one global place. And so the International Code Council, or ICC, is one that's pretty universally accepted across the globe. So what we're in the process now of doing is testing our materials, our printers, all of that through the ICC. So there is another company who did a great job of writing the criteria, but they never tested to it. We're going to also test to it and they just wrote it for one story. So we're bringing them from one story to four story and we're doing the testing. So it's pretty exciting because you're the first so being the first is always fun, and it sounds great until you have to do the stuff like the. Tech. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like,
1: the first move advantage is sort of also like a first move disadvantage. To be honest, right? Yeah.
0: One thing we are doing also in conjunction, and again, it was Michael's idea, and I think it's brilliant. Is we are doing a 3D trade association with construction. So I get asked all the time, "Who are your competitors?" And I always say, "I don't see us as having competitors." I don't mean that as in conceited. I mean, that is we want the industry to succeed. We know there are enough projects to go around. There are so many opportunities from affordable housing. Like we talked about, military is a huge deal. Just homelessness.
1: I mean, there's so many different. Can we stop with military then? Can you give us some examples?
0: Yes, we have an advisory board member on our team who is fantastic and ex-military guy. And one of the things he spent a majority of his career overseas, and he said, Jen, you can imagine, you don't really know how long you're going for. And then when you do go, if you go for six months and you're in a glorified tent, you can imagine it gets old pretty quickly. One of the selling points of our 3D printer is a gantry type system with hydraulic legs. So you need to have a slab and it needs to be pretty level, but we have some flexibility on angles and most of the 3d printers don't have that option so that flexibility will allow us to go into you know different parts of terrain that may be a little bit more difficult Um, and so an option for them is housing that, let's be honest, the military, they're not worried about how it's going to look, right? They just don't want it to blow away and they want to be somewhat warm or somewhat cool. And we can provide that. So our probably sweet spot would be maybe 600 to 1,000 square feet. We're not talking huge. Not that we can't do that.
1: I was picturing these iglo type structures for individuals or like for groups of three, four people. But you were actually talking about sort of like barracks or these kind of things, right?
0: Yes, it can be. When we started this year, we never thought about disaster relief being one of our things that we would be going after. But we actually had an approved 10 by 10, really just box, honestly, that would have been used for disaster relief. God forbid. Thank you, Lord. It's a project that you're glad that you don't get. Um, We did that one. But yeah, we do everything vertical. So it would be just the walls. And then, of course, you'd still have a contractor to do your roof or windows things like that would still be available. But, yeah, the military is one that's come up a lot. Also, again, I know we talked about affordable housing, but like I said earlier, I'm from the Panhandle, Florida. So we get hurricanes are just part of what our deal is. Well, because of Michael's connections, he's had a lot of people reach out either from Central America, from the Caribbean, who would love to have affordable housing options maybe for their workers maybe they own a resort and they need a place because their workers are in not the greatest establishments and so you don't want to rebuild those every three years because that's what happens in hurricane
1: interesting there's so many of course options right that goes into sort of like the other side that is not you as in the technology side, right? As in sort of like incorporating these sensors and IoT or some kind of intelligence and building smart from start, because that is also a possibility to sort of do that beforehand, right? So that you actually involve that in the design so that, okay, here are the nooks and crannies, or are we going to ingest these sensors into the wall so that we know what the kind of, when it's going to set and all these kind of things. What is it that you're using the sensors for? Is it mainly for construction-side purposes, or is it also through so like the life cycle and adding intelligence or benefits for the actual users, or is it both?
0: It's both. It can be both. I would say the latter more than construction-specific. It's really for that end user to have the flexibility, not during the construction as much. It gives them a lot of different options after. And also comes up, and of course, in the housing. I want to also mention we're actually 3D printing our facility and our factory that we're going to do. And so, smart factories is something that Hyundai has also done a pretty good job of. And so, we're going to carry that same thing through our flash labs space as well. Smart factories come up a lot. As you can imagine, with COVID and everybody shipping everything, being able to help in that space is
1: huge. Going back to your background as in sort of like BIM, uh, 3D designs, uh, the architectural side and these kind of things, digital twins is, as you sort of know, at least something that I care about a lot, talk about too much, (laughs) to be honest. But building the digital twin first, let's say for a smart factory, what would that look like? And also these projects, how do you involve the stakeholders or the users or even the contractors and trades and all these kind of things that's going to like operate the buildings or use the buildings? Is that a different process as you involve them earlier on to be part of the design process? Can you talk a little bit about that from a 3D printing perspective?
0: I will do my best, right? And I am an engineer, so it's black or white. I can't do the gray, you know what I mean? But the contractors, I'll say, I'll speak from the construction side. Obviously, they're going to do whatever the owner wants, right? So they're completely out of it as far as that part of it. And then it's up to the owner. Whoever we're partnering with, most likely they've used some form of that before. So it's going to be up to them as what they want to use in that space or not. And we'll just help them design that technology to be able to go with it.
1: I think it's not necessarily sort of like about the actual technology. It's more as in, sort of like the involvement of the end users, as in sort of like building the digital twin first, because otherwise... I think like the process is that the owner wants something, talks to an architect, they get something super shiny, really, really great. Then the construction company gets an export of a sort of like a BIM file, CAD file, something that they have to work with. And then it's sort of like broken from start. But I think like with the onset, again, like with uh, digital twins and 3D printing and these kind of things that you actually know more of what the end result is going to be before you start, during your doing it, and afterwards as well, right? That it's like fewer change requests and these kind of things. So that's sort of what I would like to know more about, not necessarily technology-specific side.
0: Yeah, I think the key factor for that is where I see myself and where I see Jonathan Baker, who is my counterpart at Flash Labs, is... The liaison, right? So we're that person that hopefully knows a little bit about both spaces. And from my perspective, I'm talking about contractor and end owner because I'm talking to both of those. And because of my construction background and what the owner wants, I hopefully can save the process out. And I can know what that contractor is going to be looking for, where they're going to probably do upcharges. Let's be honest, that's what they're in the business for. I would tell that to every contractor that I know. And when I talk about our technology to contractors, I say, listen. I understand at the end of the day, you've got to compete against your neighbor. And if this tool allows you to compete against your neighbor, then we've done our job. And one of the things that comes up, I just I'm trying to get through the typical questions that a lot of people ask because they hear me talk about 3D construction, they hear me talking about factories, they hear me talking about homes, all these things, military, all these things that we can do. Our business model at Black Buffalo is we are a manufacturer of printers. So our role, my role specifically is, I always tease, I've got one leg in the factory and one leg in the field. So I'm talking to that contractor, and that is my experience. That is where I'm very comfortable in. And it's going to be those either home developers or it's the big factories, industries, some of these big contractors that do correctional facilities or jails. If they do those types of things across the country, they're going to look and go, okay, if I have a job and it's a jail and it's something that we do consistently over and over and over again, and I can beat my competitor, it's a perfect option. So we're a tool in the toolbox for our contractors. We, Black Buffalo, are not a construction company. Some of our other partners that do 3D printing, they are the contractor. So a they would be a subcontractor to the general contractor, and they would do the vertical walls as part of theirs. We are not. We are in the business of selling printers or leasing printers.
1: I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so your customers, well, like the contractors. So then again, like that's why you're the perfect person then, because you can liaise on between the contractors, the owners, as well as be Buffalo to tell them, okay, this is what they need, and, and all these kind of things. Why would it be perfect for then a correctional facility and all these kind of things? It's because you do uh, like a heavy investment or maybe like medium-sized investment then into getting the blueprint for this facility, how it's going to work with 3D printers. And once you've done it, well, once, you can sort of replicate it over the country in a much, much easier way. Is that the competitive advantage or what would you say about it? Because otherwise, I think like construction companies as well as construction projects have a so like an affinity to be these snowflakes, and unique every way possible and without the possibility to follow up and all these kind of things. But maybe is that changing, do you see, with 3D printing and, and doing it this kind of way? That you get sort of like a mold that you can reuse?
0: Yes, mostly. I think architects love being different, to your point. I think they love being unique and different and doing different designs. Contractors like consistency. They like something that they do over and over and over. That's how they do it well. That's how they keep the same staff. And that's also how they keep their prices under because they can bid a job. Because remember, they're bidding jobs across the country, most of the big guys, obviously. And so they know what they can do and do it well because they don't want to lose money. Nobody wants to lose money, right? What we can provide them is, and what we are going to do, is a lot of pilot projects. The technology has been done in Korea well. We need to know how it's going to work in the States. I need to know in my head when I'm working with that contractor what works well, what doesn't work well. I mean, let's be honest. Korea is going to have different codes and different rules and different things than we are. So we're going to need to know our space really well, and we're going to need to have the good friends of contractors because I'm telling you. If contractors don't love it, they're not going to use it because they love consistency. One of the things I hear across the globe is it's so hard to find workforce, especially kids coming out of high school. Nobody's going into construction anymore. Every contractor I talk to, we're dying for for help, Jen. We can't get enough help. This is a tool. It's a digital tool. So it's not labor intensive like your typical construction. We're hoping that even to help the kids that maybe college isn't their jam, but maybe they think construction's sitting outside and working with bricker. They just have a, a false sense of what construction is. We can bring them into this technology space. That's a win-win, you know. It helps those contractors be able to do that because our goal at Black Buffalo is to train their staff. That's what our role is. We're going to sell them a printer. We're also you know, gonna gonna train their staff to know how to do that. And that's a huge skill for those guys.
1: I think that goes away with this two aspects. One is of course with 3D printing that it eliminates sort of creates a job shuffling so that someone that have done it in the past, they can do something else on site or work on the more stuff that matters more. So that's sort of like also solving part of the skill shortage gap, as well as bringing sort of modern tools to the construction site. And that, in what you're saying, right? I'm helping people to get more attracted to the industry, get into this or sort of like the whatever Netflix mindset they're in right now and that, that they're accustomed to. I love that aspect. But I think you said something that I haven't really heard in those terms. And it's basically that architects love to design new things, right? And again, like the the premise or the promise with Digital Twins is that you can allow for them to have that freedom. But then going back to the customer, or I would say like the ones who get the jobs done, which are the construction companies, the GC, the trades and all these kind of things, they love consistency because of the same reasons that you said. And I think earlier there's been a trade-off. Sort of like, okay, designers, they love new things. But I think like with uh, digital twins, as well as with 3D printing, I think you can combine those worlds. So you have maybe regulations or like these uh, parameters set in the digital twin. This is what you can do and can't do. And then of course, with those parameters set, you can have like the designers or the architects run free and do whatever they want within that space. And still, because you have 3D printing, you still get the consistency from construction companies. Say, okay, we need this amount of concrete. We need this, this, and this, and we need to involve uh, mechanical, electrical, IoT, building automation beforehand. And then again, like we know what the building is going to look like. We know where, so like the plumbing is going to be. We can't miss anything. And then when everyone's signed off, that's when we go and 3D print it. And of course, we've sort of like have drones on site and, and looked at the sort of like topology. We know exactly what it's going to look like beforehand and all these kind of things. Does that make sense? Because I love that sort of just simple aspects of the architectural freedom to do whatever you want and create these unique beings, but still have the consistency. I'm not a construction person myself, but I think like I would love that. Am I just dreaming here? What do you say?
0: You're exactly right that that is something that's amazing of what our Korean team has been able to do. They've done some designs because our saying, and I don't know if it's just a a Southern saying or not, but we always say, if you can draw it on a napkin, we can do it. With 3D printing, you obviously need to make sure that it's going to stand up and work from an engineering perspective, but we can do all kinds of different designs that first of all, would have been so difficult and so labor intensive. You'd have lost any possible cost savings 3D printing, you do get the cost savings. Remember, this is obviously a 3D printer. It can work 24-7, so you're not limited. You still need two or three people to be able to run the machine, but you have that flexibility that you would not have had before. And that's where you're exactly right. Like a contractor, if they're looking at something an architect's done and it's extremely intricate, they normally would have passed because they said, we're going to have to fly in somebody to do this labor. Is it worth it? Or they may not have passed, but they would have definitely had to look at different, and they probably would have marked it up just the way the world works. They didn't know. And this, with the 3D technology, it gives them another option to be able to do that. So you're exactly right.
1: I think that's super interesting. and I think that brings sort of uh, the topic that I was a bit interested in about, uh, as in 3D printing, affordable housing specifically again like building the digital twin first because now i'm working with a couple of smart city people or these projects here in sweden and elsewhere as well and what we're seeing more is that they want more control of what is happening in the future i don't know about the us i know some about the us as in low cost i was in a call the other day where you have like the research question was how can we ensure? great proposal at the lowest cost because lowest cost is sort of like the common denominator for these kind of tenders right so then is the question of how can we help these smart city people to get proposal that are still great but still can compete at the lowest cost and i think this is again like where affordable housing 3d printing and again like digital twins makes a lot of sense because if they would scan the areas combine that with mobility patterns or migration data, all these kinds of things, they can say, okay, now people are moving out of the big cities, they want to go more rural, but they would still want to stay in the same county, right? But it's just still like different migration patterns and we can see, okay, Here's a good place. We also take in national grid uh, kind of electricity something. Here's we're going to build a new factory. Well, let's take it to affordable housing. And then we can say, so the city can actually say, okay, based on data-driven decision-making capabilities that we now have, here is the best place for us to build affordable housing. And then they can so like build a digital twin first, invite the people, again, like the users, the contractors, you... Michael, Flash Labs, all these kind of things into building the digital twin first, and then everyone sort of will know beforehand what is going to happen. Is that just in my mind? Or is that sort of where we're going in terms of making data-driven decisions and utilizing technology for good, right? Isn't that the possibility?
0: Absolutely. And I think you may have some civil engineering in you, Nicholas, I'm telling you, because one of the things that we have to do a lot, especially if you do any land development, I'm still a professional engineer, but I did land development for a long, it's actually my favorite thing to do is exactly what you're talking about. Where are the people? Where are they going? Infrastructure, exactly what you talked about. How are we going to take care of them? Where's a need that we would need to? Smart cities, that comes up a ton in our discussions. And that's where we can be a benefit from both, obviously, Flash Labs and the Black Buffalo side. But you're right. That's where trends, especially with COVID, let's be honest, everybody's now realized, maybe I don't need to live in the city anymore. I can have, if I have internet connection, I can still work from home. So I think that's definitely probably kickstarted the movement even before. But we have a lot of clients that we talked to. We talked, of course, to private clients, and of course, public clients. And it it comes up all the time in the public discussion because they're trying to take the best care they can of their constituents, but they're also want tourism. They want people to stay. They want people to thrive, not just exist. They want people to thrive. So they try to stay ahead. I'll tell you where the bump in the road comes. The bump in the road comes when you're really trying to price things out from a contract perspective because it's that, somebody has to be the first one. Obviously, this is not a brand new concept, but I'm talking about you're just talking about a municipality, you've got to have that first person, that first product where people are willing to go and risk a lot to be able to do that.
1: Okay. So why would it be a risk? If everything is as good as you say, or I dream about right now in these conversations as well, why is it a risk for people? Is it a possibility to sort of go where the budgets are today? Instead, of like downplaying the three D printing side and just say, okay, this is a modern tool that has these benefits for like beforehand, during, in posterity for the whole life cycle, and it would allow you to make this amount of money building smart from start. And again, like with the three D printed affordable housing, again. Maslow's hierarchy of needs today is like having access to Wi-Fi, right? So maybe that's sort of like dispelling the notion that these are just going to be concrete slabs that are stupid. No, no, no. These is going to have phenomenal Wi-Fi connections out of the box. So you forget about that stuff. This is going to be hypermodern. So it's just like all these kind of things. So where is the risk? Is it just like the connotation of 3D printing? Is that the risk? What is the risk for people who wants to make these decisions?
0: It's definitely not risk from a private company like ours, obviously. It's not risk. And that we do, we have to see the future. We have to be able to see that for our longevity. The risk is you've got to think the way, and again, I can only speak, I apologize for U.S. cities and the way they are funded. Number one, it's mindset. It's the way funding sources are made, right? So where does that fit? If that doesn't fit in their typical box, and I'm talking about if you're just a mayor of a city, at the end of the day, they have to figure out how they have to pay for it Who's going to do it? What fun does that come out of? And that's the pieces of the puzzle. I really don't think when we talk logically to people, they're like, no, I would never want that.
1: Exactly. But you knowing sort of how decisions are being made in this space, is there a way to position 3D printing as in not as 3D printing, but just like doing it the same way with the same budgets, with the same people? So like demystifying the whole experience of doing these kind of things. I want this to happen. I see this as a benefit, again, for the skill shortage gap. I see it as a benefit from an environmental perspective, And again, like building these things where they need to be built and all these kind of things, right? So for the sake of humanity, I want this done as fast as possible across the earth, as soon as possible. Digital twins and all these kind of modern technologies. And the question is like, how can we make that happen? I don't have the patience necessarily. I really have a strong sense of urgency. What is the problem? Because if they already have budgets, right? So they're okaying the construction projects that are done in a normal, traditional way. What is the difference between 3D printing? Does it have to be a difference?
0: The digital twin side, all of that, that was really what I was referencing earlier. On the 3D specifically and how it relates to construction, it's always pilot. Like it's show me. Once I see it, once you talk to me, once I learn about it, I'm good. But they have to have consistency to be successful. That's just the way they're built. Most contractors, and they're going to blow me up, I'm sure, but it's the truth, is Innovation usually isn't part of the repertoire. I'm not saying they're anti innovation, I'm not saying that, but you got to think about the materials they're using wood, brick, <laughs> concrete. They're not usually too innovative because if it ain't broke, fix it and we're going to work with it. How we want to change that is we want to show them options. We want to give them, like I said earlier, a tool in a toolbox. What I loved, and I think this answers a little bit of your question, it actually was huge considering the source. Like I told you, we wanted to go through military and get military. Approval. Well, my background is getting those agencies to approve new products. I've spent 15 years doing that. So new technology, that's just part of what I do. And it's usually a long process when you're dealing with engineers. Sorry, it's true. And so now you add military and engineers. So I was really nervous. So I called Army Corps of Engineers. I've talked with NAVFAC, which is the Navy equivalent, and talked to both of those guys, explained 3D printing, explaining what we do. And they said, Jen, you don't need approval from us. And I said, what? <laughs> I was oh, this is fabulous, but what? And they said it's a construction means and methods. So as long as a contractor is doing it exactly how our specs say, we don't care what we
1: do. exactly. Yeah. That is huge. That's exactly what I'm after, right? Because knowing how the traditional sort of industry works what kind of requirements they have, and then just fill in the blanks. You modify this uh, new technology fit in as well like, a traditional operating procedure, processes, uh, these kind of things. Then it should be, be very easy. Listening to what you're saying, it's not that easy. And it's a mixed bag, right? So it's smart city officials, it's mayors, it's the construction industry. It's everything in between that sort of like acts as like mini roadblocks. I think it's really interesting.
0: Here's what I'll tell you, though, Nicholas, to your point, and it's a positive because I don't want to sound all down because I really think this technology is fantastic or I wouldn't be in it. So, number one, I like to be straightforward and upfront about some of the hurdles that we have to go through, right? Because you can't fix what you don't know about, right? But what I feel like and I truly believe the contractors, developers, cities that get this, and not just 3D printing, but get this forward thinking innovative technology are going to be ones that people are going to. It's going to be the once they start it, once they use it, but like I said earlier, it's just taking that initial step. No matter what, people don't like change for the most part. And it's a change, even though they want to see, did Joe Blow over there, was he successful? Oh, okay, I'll jump in.
1: I definitely agree with what you're saying. I think it's spot on. One of the points that I really want to talk about as well is something that came up in a discussion with one of the customers that I have, uh, GC. Phenomenal Sam Holt at Gia Dunn. I think you know who he is. We talk about building smart from start and sort of like new construction projects and like very, very big, as well as digital twins, like super big, very complex uh, flying cars kind of thing, right? But what about using 3D printing for, you know, like augmenting existing construction sites? Because there are a lot of things going on with the concrete, small stuff. And then again, like you talked a a little bit about the lorries or the trucks have to go back and forth with material. We talked about 3D printers on desks, right, before, but actually having maybe the smaller 3D printers with concrete out on job sites to work as an augmenting factor, is that something that is being discussed as well? And not only the big, we have to start with 3D printing and print the hell out of it, but actually let's use it as a tool to complement or augment the way we're working at it today.
0: Absolutely. And you've hit the nail on the head. What I try to do is try to look at... What's been successful in the past precast, which is round structures, round boxes for underground, whether it's sewer or stormwater, water water lines, all of those are a commodity business done in fantastic plants across the country, right? The downside of those is, as you can imagine, freight, right? They're limited on size. They're limited on weight because of the roads. So what we have done, and again, with just talking to precasters, they're like, Jen, we could pour a 30 by 40 box in our plant but we can't ship it. <laughs> so exactly what you're saying. So it's we imagine in a very short time frame the big contractors that are innovative and that are risk takers and that are willing to take a chance use our printers and I think we are going to be floored by the way that they use it. We've talked to Nicholas Ports. Ports across the country. They have all these seawalls and it's so hard and so expensive 3D printing. Big boxes, underground, 3D printing, because otherwise you're weather dependent on cast in place, concrete, so many things. So I think it's way more than just homes as we've talked about
1: it. I think like just listening to you talk, it just opens up so many possibilities. Again, not going go big or go home, because that's basically what I've been saying about digital twins and IoT and risk takers and all these kind of things. And I think that's the problem. Because like the majority of people, they are not risk takers. So telling people that you know are not risk takers to take a risk, it's not the most uh, strategic thing to do, even though I also do it at times as in every day. But I think it's more about looking at the stuff that is being done today, looking at these kind of things and how to push it in and not go big, go home, but actually go small, start from there, start where people are right now. And just making, okay, this is a great option. Again, like what you said about like the Navy and these countries. Okay, if we can fit these requirements, I don't care. We just want to do stuff better, right? So if we can just fit these requirements, adhere to national or local standards, and just going from there, create a revenue stream, get the stuff going. And then people are going to see it more and more and more. And then, so like the market is being more approachable, I would say. And then you also have the ref cases to do it. I think that's the perfect fit. And I think that's something that, that's hard to do from a daily basis, to be honest, and that, that needs these kind of tools. So I think that's cool.
0: It's really, truly, I believe it's sales 101, right? Finding something that people struggle with, what's something that contractors struggle with, or maybe they could do quicker. And I know I give contractors a lot of grief about money and, and that is their sweet spot, but maybe it's time. You know, we can in cure in 3 days and a cast in place takes 10. Maybe it's a time constraint, maybe it's a weather thing. They they struggle because they're up north or they're down south and they have a ton of rain. Whatever it is, we have to meet their issue that they're having. If they have a need, we have to be able to fix it. And that's the best way, for sure.
1: Absolutely. And I think like you talking about this with uh, Sam Holt again like you done, just understanding what they do has helped me so much in figuring out everything Finding their relationship is still like a people's business and something that they can relate to. This is how we're doing it, okay? And just putting in a frame of context or a frame of reference, as in this will take you 100 days today with us. This will take you two days or whatever that might be. And I think, again, like waiting for so many things in terms of concrete, freight. And I wanted to, of course, the problems or the, the big obstacles for construction site is, you know, the coordination. Uh, the planning, the scheduling, and all these kind of things. And then you have something where you know if you would have a 3D printer, let's just print it and we can solve this problem instead of waiting for material that is going to be late. And then all the other stuff afterwards is also going to be late because we're waiting for this. So no, 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 we have this 3D printer. We can do this on sites. It's so much easier. I think that's something that I'm going to try to investigate, to be honest, because I also want to find out more about What are the struggles from companies? How can I or how can we help them together in an ecosystem kind of way? I think that's the only way, right?
0: Yeah, you're usually not going to go to a a contractor specifically and go, hey, I have this new shiny object. Do you want to use it?
1: (laughs) It never works.
0: I'm just telling you, they would be like, whatever, you later, Jen. But if I say, listen, I see you're struggling with this and you do it consistently, whether it's Nebraska or California, this is a tool in the toolbox. You don't need it for every job, but gosh, if you have this or it comes up on a job site, you want one of our printers to fix that. Like it, that's just how they operate.
1: Then again, like looking at these modern technologies as just tools in a toolbox, that's how we need to do this. It's the same with AI, blockchain, 5G, 5G IoT, all these kind of things. I mean, it's just like modern tools to solve problems. But I think like with the shiny new objects that we're trying to get the market, we sort of been, maybe I wouldn't say stupid, even though, even if that's what I mean. We're so infatuated by like the promises of what this can do. So we sort of like tend to overhype these kind of things. And I know I do it all the time, but instead just like meeting the people where they are today, listening, asking questions, and again, like sales 101. Any sort of like final words that you want to leave with the audience? And of course, like how can people find you?
0: Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Now, I think sustainability is probably not something people automatically assume when you hear 3D printing and you hear concrete. But one thing, as we've researched, is you realize obviously you're going to have less people on a job site for a less period of time, which is less trucks, less timber, less nails, less material parts. So, all of that, that's trips that you're not going to have back and forth to a job site. You're going to have one printer show up and two or three men or women that are going to run the operator. So super simple. The irony is it withstands high winds. It's concrete. It's not going anywhere. But should something happen or something change, it is recyclable. We don't use a ton of steel like in typical construction. Like I said earlier, you're not using nail wood. You're using concrete, which is recyclable. So you have a lot of different options. So sustainability comes up a lot and it's not something you would typically think about. But we actually pride ourselves that it's going to be a sustainable product, which is really exciting, actually.
1: I think that's phenomenal. I think that's, again, like the circular economy. And if you have sort of, again, like the digital twin I tried to push that in into every sentence I have, to be honest, but, <laughs> but if you have the digital twin, you can also track the material beforehand, right? So from a city perspective or municipality or county, you can say, okay, we want the requirement that the material should come from within the country. So we stimulate sort of like the businesses here. And we know that it's going to stay here because we have that in the digital twin. And then we can also use like buildings as material banks. That's something that's going across Europe as in knowing that, okay, in 20 years, 10 years, 50 years, whatever that is, we know that where the material is, and then we can reuse it, take it from wherever it has been, demolish that building, reuse it again and build a new structure. So it's just like reshuffling of the stuff that you're already taking out from Mother Earth. But that is especially important, of course, in the next I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years that we're not just going to keep on digging, right? But actually reusing the stuff that we already got. So uh, thank you so much for joining. Uh, it was definitely a pleasure. And I'm really looking forward to the next session where you talk to more people, done some more stuff with ports. And they got in this uh, smart factory up and running as well, right? I think that's going to be amazing.
0: First of all, I think we made a good yin-yang, right? Because I'm that contractor, you know, tried, true, like engineer, black, white. But I still have a good balance, the dreaming side from you, Nicholas. So I appreciate that. And I just, I really feel like this is such a great technology. I think it's a great company. I feel like we're led very well. We have a great staff. I just feel like we've made great connections in this short time. I really think, and we have, we've made the connections with the leaders that are ready. We're not wasting our time on the people. They're like, ah, ah. we're going for the, you want, are you looking for innovation? Are you looking for change? Are you looking for a way to beat your competitor? Are you looking for a housing in your area that's affordable for your clients or your constituents? We've really been pretty specific on who we've targeted. And I think that helps tremendously in something like this. So thank you.
1: No, I love it. I love that someone is as, just- driven as me and want to sell stuff. I love that as well. And uh, how can people find you? Is it LinkedIn or is it, uh, where do you want them to find you?
0: Absolutely. LinkedIn. I am Jennifer Fowler Chrisman. F-O-W-L-E-R is my middle name. Black Buffalo or Research Black Buffalo. My email is Jen. And I know with my accent, I'll spell it J-E-N-N period. Chrisman, C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-N. So J-E-N-N, period, C-H-R-I-S-T-M-A-N at blackbuffalo.io. So that's probably the best way to reach me. As you can tell, I'm an open book and I am a straight cheater. So I love all the questions and all the fun.
1: I love that. I included in the show notes. And for the ones listening now, you know it as well. And again, thank you so much for joining the Beyond Buildings podcast. And I know that we'll see you again. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Beyond Buildings podcast. And also a big thank you to our sponsor, Platform of Trust. For those of you who want to collect, harmonize, and trust data from anywhere in the world and make sense of it in a much, much faster way than ever before. Thank you.